life's work in performance has seen Penny Larkins depend on the voice. Carving a career as a singer with a cappella group The Janes, studying in the musical theatre course at Whopper, and long runs in musicals that include Mamma Mia and The Boy From Oz, has taught Penny why the voice is such a valued and vital instrument for both the singer and actor. But performers are not the only ones to depend on the voice. We all rely on our voice as a means of communication, a manifestation of emotion, a tool of survival. The need for vocal expression exists on a myriad of levels. In 2017, Penny entered NIDA to complete a Masters in Voice Studies, giving her an intimate and complete appreciation of the workings, maintenance and power of the voice. Which leads her now to continue a navigation and exploration of the immense potential of our vocal power. Penny provides a fascinating insight to our primal animal expression. We sat and talked, discussed, conversed and sang all things voice. Here's my chat with Penny Larkins. You can't peer over at the questions. Well, I'm not. <laughs> oh, no, I've done my research and all that sort of thing, I've, so that's fine. I'm that's old good. enough to need glasses now. I can't even read what I'm looking at anyway. Can't you? Oh, well, there you go. You've just come back from the States? Yeah. Hmm. What were you doing over there? I was doing a voice work intensive. So uh, one of the wonderful things I was introduced to while I was doing um, studying the MFA at NIDA was uh, the LESAC uh, work, which, um, and I just did a four-week intensive in, in to gain practitioner status in being a LESAC practitioner, which I now am. Hooray! But um, I was introduced to it by... Katerina Moraitis, who is the head of voice at NIDA, obviously. She had studied with Arthur, Arthur Lessac, and um, he died when he was 102, and when he was 101 or so, he had been in Croatia setting up like an actual, <laughs> like, an, like a, a, a course work, like rolling around on the floor and doing all the body work associated with the work, and yeah, amazingly beautiful man. His philosophy and idea was that you know we should um, walk like we're dancing and talk like we're singing and you know yeah so who were you working with in the states so uh the uh the less act like many other voice methodologies so the way that voice work kind of works in the world and i think it might have, might have been the link later that sort of started this or maybe rodenberg but the the voice work tradition kind of comes out of um, you know, Sisbury and the, and the Royal Shakespeare Company, the, the, that sort of practice of let's develop a practice where we as actors and practitioners have got a, a way to start our day that isn't just about, you know, doing some stretches and things like that, but we're actually warming up the muscles of the of the vocal mechanism as so, well. So you said with Cicely Berry coming out of the Royal Shakespeare Company. Yeah. Surely, surely there were other teachers in the world that have existed in oh, theatre companies? Oh, absolutely. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it took somebody coming to America and kind of certifying a practice to turn this whole certification practice into something that happens now. So we've got Fitzmaurice, we've got um, Linklater, we've got the Lessac, uh, uh, we've got Knight Thompson speech work, we've got there are a whole bunch of different voice methodologies that you can become certified in, which is which not... Which are just different training systems yeah, for the voice, absolutely. like theories of acting. 
Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. So, and it wasn't something that really used to happen much, um, and, and it now does. So, this particular methodology for me um, is something I I just resonated with immediately, given everything that you know, and you would know yourself, like from the background of acting training that you do. You sort of grab all these bits and pieces of things and lovely things to kind of help you be present and help you be ready for a moment. And the less act work for me is really combined with um, body and and voice work in a really beautiful way. So I was working with one of the master teachers in Deborah Kinghorn in the US. So she ran us through a program that was sort of six days a week, um, <laughs> very long days, intense, lots of homework. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's why it's called an intensive. <laughs> and um, my little body was going, whoa, you know, goodness me, and had a wonderful time. So, and yeah, but it all reaped its rewards and I feel really good about it. So, Pen, as a, as a singer mm. and, and now a teacher, yes. you know, voice has always been a vital commodity for you. It's, it's your bread and butter. Yeah. So what is it about the voice or the power of speech that excites you, that engages oh, you? Oh, gosh. So, well, look, there's such different levels to that, aren't there? Because uh, voice... When we are not heard, you know, uh, so it's it's got a philosophical concept as well, doesn't it? So if we don't feel heard uh, by by the people that we love or by people that we're trying to communicate with, you know, it can be quite destructive to the psyche. And I think I was always encouraged to sing. Everybody in my family sang. Like the we went away with a friend of mine in grade four on a road trip to go on a holiday and we were singing in three-part harmony in the back of the car and I was like, she was totally freaked out. She's like, your family's so weird. (laughs) (laughs) The Partridge family. Doesn't everybody do this? Um, So, you know, that, but uh, so voice for me has always been something that I um, have loved discovering with people and it was through... Uh, starting to work a little bit more in the folk scene and running, doing some work with community choirs. So people that hadn't necessarily had a history of training or anything like that, you know, I was doing some private sessions or some breath work or getting them warmed up and things. And I started to really notice the impact of just spending a little time with somebody one-on-one. And it wasn't like I was going, here, try this, you know, or, or work this out. It was more like a little doorway opening and going, Oh, have you considered? And oh, and you know, when you think about that, do you? And you have these little beautiful moments of just like light in the eyes. And and one woman came up to me and she said, "I'm feeling a bit um, troubled because when we're doing this work, I'm feeling like there's a real tightening on my chest, you know." And she was sort of holding her hand right over her heart. And I said, "And so what happens when?" And she said, "Well, it just makes me." And she just started to cry, you know. And I went, "Well, there you go." You know, and it's it's those sorts of those little liberating moments of just somebody having the opportunity to go. It's okay, and none of this. You know, it it it's pretty lovely, and I think voice is something also that we tend to think of comparatively. So we listen to other people. We listen to other people singing. We listen to other people speaking. I want to sound like that. You know, and one of the most beautiful things about the work that I now do is just about that joyful discovery of your own sound and your own voice and, you know. Can can you recall the first words you ever spoke? Oh my goodness. Or have you been told by a parent perhaps? I think it was something to do with cat, which is interesting because I'm now allergic to cats and 
Um, well, so am I. Yeah, yes. no, no. I'm, I'm they, not fond of cats. No, no, no and they make, they, they're not good for my sinuses at all, which <laughs> makes it very not good for... Which then affects your voice. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm not, in, I'm not entirely sure, and I don't have a parent around anymore to ask. So, right. mm. yeah. um, so where did you grow up? I was born in Colac, which is in uh, the little southwest, you know, sort of down towards the southwest coast. Um, the Great Ocean Road, is that down uh, there? Kind yeah, of. So Colac's inland, though, so it's a funny little... In Victoria, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a funny little place, and I've recently travelled, and you know what's interesting is that I was just at the National Celtic Folk Festival in June, um, singing some Irish music, and it was lovely, and I was talking to these people sitting behind me in the, in a concert who lived in, who now live in the house that I was born in. Wow. Now, I just think that's odd. But anyway. <laughs> so, Serendipity. And I said, yes, did you have a little doorway that went from that house? And they went, yes, yes. They, you know, anyway, it was a funny, funny moment. What about the, so you said music was in your family mm. a lot. Yes. So your parents, were they yep. musicians of some sort? So or? my parents were your classic uh did the right job but felt the f- passion of wanting to do something else. So m- mum and dad were in a band when I was a baby and apparently I used to be kind of shoved under tables, which still enables me to fall asleep quite happily. And I guess mum, was, so mum was a singer? Mum was a singer and she played keyboard. So she was maybe even was carrying you while she was Oh, yeah, 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 she yeah, would have yeah. been. She yeah. would have been absolutely. I would have right. been, you know, belly for sure. Um, and dad was a guitarist and harmonica player and um, songwriter and, yeah, all-round loud person, yeah. And so they – and but, you know, but their day jobs were being a teacher and a barrister. So it was a funny little thing that they then – created an environment for me that almost felt like we really want to give you the blessing to follow whatever creative passion you you, you want to fulfill because they felt a bit stunted in that person yeah. and what about your siblings did they yeah. follow a performing career um, or well not really my uh, I my sister's no longer she's been dead for a 20 years now gosh but my brother is still like he still does the beautiful thing where he'll uh his kids are now a little bit old for this but I suppose his practice of his craft and he's an amazing guitarist and and songwriter and singer was just singing to them at night time so it it's also one of those things that you go you know we don't perform you don't necessarily discover your voice or do something because you want to be famous you just it's just that comfort like one of the loveliest things I get to do is if somebody says, oh, I want to sing a song for my husband for our anniversary or I want to, you know, th- those sorts of things that are just so exciting. And you go, you know, so, yes, we were encouraged to be very creative and um, and all of my brother's kids, he's got four kids, I've got three kids, um, his children are all incredibly musical um, and mine are, mine are really interested in music but they're not, yeah, they haven't so far so i guess you know whether it's talking or laughing or crying or mm. singing you know uh, vocalization is a very important part of human expression absolutely i mean we learn from a very young age that we get a response absolutely. through vocalization mm. Mm. Um, attention is paid yeah so uh when you were growing up did you study music at high yep. school yeah so um i did I did music and not drama because music and drama were on at the same time in my high school, which 
Well, I guess drama was probably very young as a subject. Yeah, well. I suppose it was. And my music teacher, I didn't enrolled in drama, and he came up to me and he said, um, "Jeff, hey, how if you if you listen to this podcast ever?" Which he actually might, because he's a very um, well read and versed man. What hello, Jeff. Hello, Jeff. Um, but he he came to me and I said, "Why did you put me in music?" And he said, "You'll thank me later." And he was probably right, you know. Uh, story drama and its and its um, stuff was always going to be there for me, but but learning about the, the the notion of music at the time just felt more necessary, I suppose. All the rudiments behind it and things, but um, and I hadn't sung because I didn't know that you're allowed to use singing as an instrument because I thought everybody did it. So I was 15 and I tried everything. I tried tune percussion. I tried um, um, flute. Piano, guitar, what else had I learnt? Gosh, I'd learnt so many instruments and I was only halfway through year nine. And I said to my sing, um, uh, music teacher, can I sing? And he said, of course you can sing. And I was like, what? Really? Wow, that's amazing. And my mum and I came into my school and we sang, she played piano and we sang The Rose and she <laughs> sang harmonies with me. <laughs> And I got 10 out of 10 for my performance. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, that was it. That was the start. So I started doing singing lessons after that. Um, and you went <laughs> on to uni? Yes. Yep. So what did you study at uni? Um, my first little attempt at university was um, doing teaching. Uh, no, it was uh, at Melbourne Uni. I uh, didn't much enjoy the environment of Melbourne Uni, but I did a little bit of drama there, which I didn't uh, enjoy. I went to La Trobe after that and did Spanish and discovered linguistics. So I discovered the structure of language and how much I enjoyed that and did some drama there, which I really enjoyed. And then I had a beautiful friend, Mr. Mark Spencer, who um, went over and went to Whopper. And he I'd been doing amateur theatre and having good times and going out and drinking too much and that sort of thing that you do when you're doing amateur theatre when you're in your early 20s and, um, and working in a news agency. And he came back from his first time, semester at Whopper and said, if you don't audition for this course, you know. So that was my first little try at going, I really want to take this seriously. Yeah. Uh, we'll move on to Whopper shortly. Mm. But, but tell me about the Janes. Because ah. that was an acapella group that you were part of. Yeah. So did, how did that happen? So Salvation Jane were advertised, they advertised in The Age. And I used to, you know, I don't Salvation know. Salvation Jane? Yeah, the, at the time they were called Salvation Jane. Oh, okay, Jane yes, all right. In yes, the early think, 90s. Yeah. And we're now called the Janes. But in the early Because there was a male group around about the same time called the Phones. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. My brother, acapella. I think, got taught by one of the Phones, right. like as a, because he was doing boy soprano stuff in high school. But yeah, that's funny to consider. But yes, and um, yeah, w- b- the bizarre thing is my brother was also in an independent rock band at the time called Patterson's Curse, which of course is the same name as Salvation Jane, but that's another story. Um, and they they sang uh, a cappella gospel stuff um, and I did lots of, yeah, high soprano stuff. We, we toured uh, all over Australia, New Zealand, you know, just singing and doing all that sort of stuff and I had a great time. And without yeah. instruments. I mean, so that obviously means that, that your ear, your your sense of pitch, your mm. um, blending with, with yeah. other singers must be pretty good. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting because my um, ex-partner, Carl Panuzzo, who is a composer and a wonderful musician, we were part of creating a beautiful one-act opera called Dinner in a Dry Dam, and it's just gorgeous. It's about a 40-minute piece of work. It was totally composed for exactly my voice. So it would be this beautiful experience where um, the writers, the um, 
had contributed poetry and things like that and then we sort of melded the whole thing together. But if I went, well, you know, that that emotion is not expressing at this pitch, then he would change the pitch, you know. <laughs> so it was like this beautiful experience of going, oh, my gosh, I can paint this however I want to. But at the very end of that little one-act opera, we had this moment where we would just meld in between each other's sort of half-tones and... And, and harmonies and, and just blending, blending, blending till we finally got down to the absolute one note. Uh, and it was quite a surreal experience and beautiful to do, just going in and out of each other's quarter tones and sounds. But the weekend after we completed like a three-week run of that um, little opera, we, I went to a folk festival and saw every tent I walked past. My ears were so tuned in to just pitch that I couldn't listen to <laughs> I mean no offense to I mean I love I love my folk world but gosh at the time it was oh my goodness that was it was it was really interesting and it's fascinating when you really start to focus in on the senses which I suppose is always for me um, with actors particularly one of the first things that I will do with them is is just get them to be a little bit sense sense aware you know and that's that's touch that's hearing that's but that's so much to do with what you feel in particularly in all you know in your articulators all you know your tongue and your lips and your mouth and we can focus on that stuff and it's exciting to to focus on your senses and yeah so professional performers sing all the time for a yeah. living um, but mr mr and mrs average yeah why do they feel the need to sing? I mean, it's a human sort of drive, isn't it, that we that we sing, whether it be in the shower, whether it be in the car, mm-hmm. whether we hum in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's a vital expression, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and I think, um, well, in the in the Lessac world, it's uh, like Arthur will talk about, uh, or did talk about, like concept of. Um, uh, say a pleasure hum or something like that. So if we if we just even breathe in and oh, so it's a thera- know, it's therapeutic a, no, it's agent. Such, isn't it's it? an absolutely yeah. therapeutic agent. You know, we cry. Crying is like where singing teachers will get you to aim for the cry, won't they? Oh, oh, you know, all that sort of. Or you'll do little <laughs> little doggy whimpers to warm up for something. And you know, there's a reason that that stuff is useful. Um, we laugh and to warm up. We, you know, so there's all these. Things that that are natural things that our body wants to do that that contribute to our beautiful singing voice and keep our larynx um, our larynx as flexible as I'm it can be. I'm constantly astounded at the um, the psychological connection to the brain mm. or whatever. I find myself during the day just launching into a particular song. I thought, why the fuck am I singing that? Yeah. And then if you think clearly enough, retrace your the previous hour or something, something has been said in conversation or you've read something uh, yeah. which triggers that yeah. response. And Absolutely. I, I find that extraordinary. I find it amazing that the amount of people that say to me when I'm singing in public, you know, they'll say, oh, oh, oh I love it, you know, you must be so happy. And I have always kind of gone... Yeah, you know, and kind of agreed with them, but it's never been my. I'm just singing because I'm singing, or, or, or like for my own emotional reasons. But it's that moment there where obviously what I've realised is that for them, the concept of some somebody singing around them makes them happy. Like it's a it's a it's a thing that is is a real. Um, when you've got somebody 
singing in a carefree way around you, you, you feel more relaxed. It, it's quite lovely, you know, like and, and not I don't mean standing in the corner per- performing an aria or anything like that. It's just, you know, humming while they're, while they're making the dinner or singing to themselves while they're in the shower. And you can't help but smile because it's somebody's natural expression of whatever little emotional state that they're in at the time. You know that that's automatically going to be meaning that their breathing is relaxed and in tune. They, they are organically instructing themselves in really healthy ways. It's a beautiful thing to do for yourself. Hmm? You know. <laughs> so you went to Perth and you studied musical theatre. Yes, at I did. Wapa. How yes, was that? Yes, I did. Well, I was very blessed in my Whopper journey. I loved it. I did have a funny little thing along the way where I had a baby, but that's not a topic for today's discussion. Well, I, w- I was going to ask you about that. You became a mum at, yeah. at Whopper. Um, pardon my ignorance or whatever, but did, does pregnancy change yes. the voice? Did your Abs- voice change through through that? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I now know more about the physiological reasons behind that in terms of just the thickening of, of things and stuff. But, but it definitely um, provided me with some challenges in a muscular way. I was very... I was quite young, you know, I was in my 20s and so I was lucky that, you know, the bounce back ability, I suppose, of the of everything was quite, um, was easier for me. But uh, we can all notice, and this is women and men and um, females and males, and um, that there will be hormonal differences in the way uh, that our uh, that our vocal folds will respond at different times for us. You know, depending on our chem- chemical balances and things. And what about motherhood? Because mm. you know you've gone on to be mm. after that child, yes, other no, children. I've got, yeah, I've got three of them. Yeah, <laughs> and, and how does motherhood change your voice or, or, or your connection with voice in, in any way? Do you think? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, well, for me, I suppose because I'm a professional, uh, because I use my voice, then I am probably like quite conscious about how I'm using my voice. And so I would always, you know, like reading stories at bedtime, wonderful opportunity, like I'm playing with character voices, I'm doing things and I'm going, oh, that's creating strain. Why is that creating strain, Penny? What do you need to have a look at that, you know, means that you can, you know, cluck, cluck like a <laughs> whatever <laughs> or make a oinky noise or without um causing yourself stress but um but certainly the the concept of the soothing nature i think the, the voice for me has such a beautiful arc from that self-soothing concept which is like mm, all that pleasure hum stuff through to how we use it when we're articulating so how we use it when we're telling somebody a story how we're using how even how we're using it when we're um, telling somebody directions to get to our house because you want to be so clear when you're speaking to somebody about what the information that you need them to know and so you're much more conscious about how you use all the muscles that are engaging when you care about what that person receives and I think sometimes when we're blah, blah blah like just babbling off about things we don't always think about how is this going to be received you know or or do I care about how it, I, I just want to say it I, I don't care how somebody's going to hear it I just want it to be said but when we're thinking about how that person's responding it's pretty important and as a mother you really want to be thinking about how your child's receiving your words well, as a teacher too. Yeah, you know, abso- absolutely. absolutely. Um, and there's not enough training, if, in my opinion, in the world of teaching about voices at all. <clears throat> we don't, because um, I did my teacher training as well. I can, but I didn't feel like we addressed 
how to and you go into classrooms and I've worked in I've worked in the high school situation in Victoria I haven't worked in New South Wales but um, where I just think oh my goodness your 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 voice is just I just worry yes yes mm. yes yes the way way things are said careful mm. the things you say or uh, but also vocal strain on the actual teacher yeah themselves. absolutely yeah. who uh, engage with that voice eight hours a day yeah, non-stop absolutely often. absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. so what did you learn at uh, WAPA studying musical theatre from your teachers about about voice maintenance, about voice care, about voice production, about using the voice to tell a story? Well, I mean, I was really lucky. I discovered while I was at WAPA that I wasn't actually a singer, I was a storyteller. I mean, that was my biggest thing, was going, oh, I'm an actor, you know. That so you thing. weren't a singer as in that you you didn't think you had the traditional legitimate, I, legitimate I, uh, musical theatre voice? Well, or? I felt like I arrived there as somebody that was a singer first and an actor second and I left there going, I'm an actor and I and this is my voice. So, and, you know, we've got a funny country when it comes to musical theatre and straight theatre and, and what that means and whether you're allowed to actually cross, you know, like it's a little bit... It's very few who are mm, allowed to do it. Yeah. Well, you, it, it tends to get a little bit easier as you get older, but, you know, but, but having travelled now many, lots of times to, to spend a lot of time in the States and, and uh, in London, you kind of go... Why? But anyway, that's also another story. I was very, really lucky. I had a beautiful singing teacher in the gorgeous Liz Pascoe and and we had um, some really wonderful voice training. Julia Moody, um, who uh, set me up to, I suppose, in the best way that a voice teacher can, which is that I came out of classes with a, a real interest in wanting to know more. And wanting to wanting to ask and find out and and delve into that world of accent and dialect. I think voice is such a huge subject area. It's very hard for a voice teacher to cover the foundation skills of voice um, maintenance and things like that, and then still have to cover um, how we create and develop the voice and then you know on top of that like accent and dialect and often in just two hours a week well exactly or even so um so it it was a tricky thing but I definitely um I was probably a little young you know to do anything apart from go oh yeah I'm good at that you know like oh yeah that's something I don't need to worry about I I can handle that I've got that one under my I'm going to work on the things that I'm scared of, which I don't know why I did that because, like, why did I bother wasting time working on tap dancing? Like, really? (laughs) Well, exactly. I mean, you know, with every good intention, they're going there. They want you to train you to be a triple threat. But I think, you know, is it a a good quality two good enough or or even just one? (laughs) Absolutely. Like, I mean, retrospect, you know, I spent so many extra hours with my tap dancing and my ballet. Well, you know, yeah. Well, that's true. You know, I do think you know there there is that onus perhaps in in musical theatre courses to to train the triple threat, mm. um, who all go out and they just become the next ensemble mm. in a musical or whatever. But but what about you? Know, look at somewhere like Whopper, um, in those years that we were yeah. there, who have produced tremendous talents like. Um, uh, meow Meow yeah. and, and Dean Bryant as a director yeah. and James Miller as a writer Absolutely. and all that sort of thing who haven't necessarily, well, they do perform some of them, but, but also they have these other fantastic yeah. skills to their bow yeah. which doesn't come into the, uh, the sphere I, of a triple threat. And I honestly, I mean, you know, I, I do believe and I 
hope it doesn't sound like I'm going, oh, the good old days, but I do believe that there was a lot of encouragement to really think quite broadly about what your career meant and what you... what And creating you, your own work. Yes, yep. exactly. And, and, and there was never any any idea for me that that I would fall into work when I or uh, but I was lucky enough to actually fall into work quite quickly but um, but at the time I just remember already starting to think creatively and broadly and and um, and 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 loving that process but so you did um, as you say fall directly into a lot of good work yeah. uh, quickly a long runs in the boy from Oz yep. and Mamma Mia mm-hmm. what did those long runs teach you about the maintenance of voice, making sure that you could call on that instrument eight times a week and it wouldn't fail you. Uh, it was um, that it was essential. Th- that uh, the concept of of discovering what uh, what so particularly in something like Mamma Mia, because I was understudying the role of Donna, and Donna in that show is is a ludicrously huge thing, and and it and it covers a range that is very difficult for the female voice to to really. Um, without being a little bit honestly, a little bit damaged to carry healthily, you know, like it's, it's well, I, that sound, that's a, what is that called? A tautology. What did I just do? Did I do something? Anyway, but because um, the, the, where it sits is so low in some points and so high in other points and, and it was really difficult. So it was about what I actually did with that show was keep my voice as flexible as I possibly could with the ensemble work I was doing and that's always been part of me, you know, like it's like when you say to a person that's got a, um, a lower voice, you know, you really, the, a lot of your work needs to be about trying to get the elasticity going in the top range here so that you can keep that bottom range as resonant as you want it to be, you know, because you can't, you've got to keep the whole machine working in order to be able to um, concentrate and hone in on those particular zones so even in in retrospect even though I was quite I was relatively young then and a little bit inexperienced um, when it came to voice uh, physio like the physiological actual construct of the whole um, vocal mechanism I um I, I was doing that you know I was really keeping myself nice and flexible and 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 definitely needed to you know but luckily we had a lot of beautiful fun light gorgeous ABBA pop songs to sing (laughs) you know so can you call yourself a a disciplined artist like that because I hear of you know musical theatre performers who say that you really have to lead a monastic lifestyle Mm. I mean so plenty of rest Mm. uh, make sure you're there um, you can't go partying all night Oh. Obviously, but then again, yeah. there's those people who do yeah. and have these cast still, iron lungs. They still, they still manage to, they still manage to. Um, so I guess it's knowing your body. It's absolutely knowing you like, you know, if you've got a an athlete or somebody that does comes and does a yoga practice every day, and then they go and I don't know do parkour for the rest of their day and throw themselves against buildings. Well, they the fact that they come back and do yoga every morning is probably going to really set them in good stead. So. You know, if you know, it's it's a bit similar to the way that an actor, you can go as far out on a limb as you need to go emotionally. Like you can put yourself in as huge a risk as, 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 as is possible to, to show the audience some sort of point of complete authenticity. But you need to know how to safely get back to your own place of, of zero, right? Of your own place of neutrality or your own place of transition, whatever you want to call it. You know, the place where you 
aren't encumbered by all of the energy of whatever you went to. And I think the voice is the same. So we, it, it's like it's, with any scarring, you don't want to put anything on top of something that you've already done. So if you can come back to neutral, you can go out and be a screamer. You can sing in a death metal band, you know, if you can come home and give a little love and attention or just completely uh, or just complete rest to your folds and and they'll be you know they're they're they are muscles that we're supposed to use and we're not supposed to not use them you know we're supposed to use them they're supposed to be very usable and very flexible so um yeah i'm probably not uh one of the um puritans in the world when it comes to actual vocal use because i i know your instrument well i know my instrument but but i believe that musical theater people these days are expected to be, we are expected to be able to sing anything from death metal, like literally, to opera. Like, and that's the, and obviously, you know, uh, like somebody that's got a bit more purist would say, you're not singing opera, you're just, you know, you're doing a nice little legit classical sound. Or Yes, I totally agree. (laughs) It may not be. But but they've still got to have that capacity to be able to have the voice be that flexible to be. Across, across those genres. Well, you're getting into an area I wanted to talk about now, okay. but a lot of contemporary musical theatre scores seem to be written for these extraordinary iron-plated voices. I mean, that, that goes back as far as something like Evita Peron, yep. you know, casting Evita, um, and Alphaba in yep. Wicked. These place extraordinary demands on, on those singers. Mm-hmm. Do you see that as a real issue? And, and how do you support that sort of voice? Um, as a, as a vocal coach in those sorts of arenas you really have to find the way to um you know I, I i was lucky enough to do some teaching at penn state in in pennsylvania and they they were doing a production of american idiot at the time that i was teaching and so i was vocal coaching some of the people that were um uh doing playing roles in american idiot so so for the listener who doesn't know american idiot is the it's green, green day, day musical. musical so it's all how would what genre would you describe that as uh, uh, post-industrial kind of <laughs> rock something. What would you describe that as? Anyway, so... It, it's a lot of screaming? Or yeah, 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 yeah. It's a lot of yelling. And it's for the women, it's very... The keys are just appalling. As any woman out there who's ever had to sing a song from, from American Idiot will say, they're really hard for girls. But... um. But they're also quite hard for boys because, of course, um, they're not. Uh, there's no stand and sing for these sorts of shows. These one particular um, young person that I was working with was was spent most of his role in the show, you know, half bent over, f- faking the fact that he was smoking a bong for the entire. You know, how do you sing massive notes when you? All you know, hunched over. Yeah. So it's about this concept of, for me, this like dynamic motion thing of we are always having to find whatever is the healthy way. Like like a dancer would find a dancer will often find themselves in something that they wouldn't that we wouldn't consider to be correct alignment. Right? They're gonna all right. This right now, if I stayed in this position for too long, it wouldn't be very healthy for me. And I think with our voices. We've got exactly the same situation when we're facing these new sorts of musicals and sounds. We've really got to look at how do I how do I allow my body to just be responsive and move through a particular kind of state um, that or, may feel unhealthy, yeah. actually, you know. But I'm going to be able to still create sound. Or even dealing with set design. I mean, <laughs> with the stories of you know that original production of Miss Saigon, which was performed on an extraordinary yeah. rake. 
And a lot of people started to lose their voices mm. because of the physicality mm. of the way they were singing. Yeah, or, or the way you've got to hold your body when you're on a rake, yeah. like because the, everything has to. So how do we adjust so that we're still in motion and we still have got some sort of? Because centre needs to constantly move. If you're not on a, you know, on a, any kind of plateau, you know, it can't stay. Mm. So what drove you to study the the masters in voice ah. at NIDA? Where were you at your li- in your life, yeah? And uh, and what took you to NIDA? I think I, I was definitely at a place where I've still maintained, as as one does in Australia, um, I've maintained many hats uh, in in terms of my work as a teacher and as an actor and as a singer. So I I sort of consider myself crossing those those fields. And, um, and I love to teach and I wanted to get some sort of qualification or some a work towards a possibility where I was able to sort of draw that all together and really focus. And what I loved about my work at NIDA, and, you know, that's it's still a slightly ongoing process, but um, is that it, nothing that I was learning about or, learn, or studying made me go, oh, my God, you've been saying the wrong thing for 20 years, Penny. That's terrible. It was a lovely affirmation of my instinct as a, as a voice person and, um, and, and, and they do beautiful work there and I got to work with amazing actors and support dialect work and all that sort of stuff. But I really was, I was, what was I? I was, I suppose I was a person in my 40s as a professional actor in Australia and going... Okay, what am I going to do next? What's going to be the thing that potentially um, I can share with the world? And I suppose, look, honestly, practically, like what can I earn money from in a, in a greater extent um, that will confirm my experience? So I'd been working as a, as a vocal coach and an acting teacher for years, but I hadn't sort of had that little thing of going you're actually like that the thing that the elephant stamp that makes you actually believe for yourself that you're good at something and and doing the doing the work there really helped me um affirm for myself that uh, it's a career path I adore and I just want to keep following it so I imagine the study of voice requires some knowledge of anatomy. Yeah. Is that mm-hmm. that's what you study? Oh, and the, huge. The structure uh, of the voice? Absolutely. And, and a big part of our study, and for a girl that hated science in high school, it was great because <laughs> I think it's wonderful because I'm a very interpersonal learner, so I, I really need to learn from people that I respect and admire. And and some of my science teachers in high school I had difficulties with, Pete. It's all a bit dry, really, yeah, well, wasn't it? Yeah. And they didn't like me and I didn't although there was a very funny um, year seven but anyway we won't talk about her um, but so I um, I loved learning about the anatomy and physiology like I was learning names for muscles I did I was you know doing presentations on the process of phonation and it's exciting for to go this helps me understand the way the, the voice actually works and I think it's a much bigger part of, of voice vocal practice now internationally is that we we now understand so much more about um, how the entire system interacts with itself and and what we can do to, to better support somebody to create like different timbres different shades and sounds and all it's just so much more um, yeah yeah what what are nodules and and, <laughs> and how do they develop well 
like any like if I if I did if I scraped across my skin right here for a little while, I'd eventually get like a slight abra- a little abrasion, abrasion yep. yeah. And if and if over here, if I did the same thing there and I rubbed those two little abrasions together, potentially they would create something that would swell and be a bit swollen and would create an area that would become a little bit. It wouldn't move. Uh, it would go a bit static in in terms of response because it would that whole bunch of the little white cell soldiers would come in to kind of heal the entire space and let's do we're gonna shut shut it down kids shut it down um and so it's just a little area of kind of mutual aggravation i suppose that um can lead to things building up over time habitually if you're going to you know um, and is that because of bad technique or uh, you're using your voice mm, inappropriately? Oh, look, habitually, look, I'm going to say uh, my now 16-year-old, when he was five, had nodules when he was five, you know, and yeah, I was th- like... That was medically proven? Yes, you, yeah, right, you know, okay. well, this was the camera down there. Yeah, yeah. He did the whole thing right. and don't worry, he's not going to... And I was like, what are you talking about don't worry i'm a this, this is my world this is my life but my job <laughs> you're telling me my son has nodules and for him personally it turned out to be that he had created uh some mutual t- because there's a lot of emotional reasons behind how where nodules can come from as well it's not necessarily like like with anything that we do habitually like uh, so if we create um, unsafe sound in a stressful environment in our bodies, if our body is tense and it's held and then we scream or then we, you know, if it's yeah. not, then we're going to hurt relaxed. ourselves right. over time. And that's, that's, that's what can happen, yeah. I go to the gym regularly every week and I'm now at an age where I've started Pilates Ooh. just for the maintenance mm. of the body and, you know, use it or lose it. Yeah. Should we be doing vocal exercises every day? Yeah. yeah? Yes, we should. So yeah. what's, what sort of vocal well, exercise? But it doesn't need to be much. Like, that's the that's the thing. It is just about those moments where, and I always say to, say to all my um, students or people that come to see me and, you know, honestly, I've had people come to see me that are five years old and I've had a beautiful 63-year-old man that just wanted to learn how to tune his banjo come, you know, but in actual fact he was secretly wanting to sing, but he didn't want to tell me that, you know. But um, and I, it's it's about that gentle hum. It's about letting in a little bit of buoyancy, a little bit of breath into the body because as soon as you're letting a little bit of air or oxygen into the system, then... Cause the vocal mechanism is such a tiny little thing so, and it's so easy for us to have tension around it and all parts of us, the neck, the shoulders, you know, there's so many places that for possible tension to exist there. So little gentle humming, mm, you know, like those, mm, you know, little NG sounds, little M, mm, oh, enjoying, enjoying making yourself. So when you're making yourself something delicious, let yourself... Vocalize how delicious it is. Ooh. What about um, uh, tongue twisters? Oh, tongue twisters can be fun, fun but yeah. definitely, you know, um, having a little. But but it's all about just fun. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or telephone books or. What am, what anything, I, what, really. One of my favourite things, if I have some public speaking to do, which is going to make me really nervous mm. or whatever, that old sort of holding your tongue and saying the alphabets, yeah. which yeah. 
amazingly increases the the mouth capacity well, and the clarity of the diction. Well, afterwards. what it what it what it what it actually probably is doing. What I think it's what I'm pretty sure it's doing is that it's just releasing some of that tongue tension. So yes, we've yes. got a whole bunch of tongue root tension, especially in Australia, where we love to smile, and we are, so everything gets. And a bit the tongue lip doesn't there. move at all. No. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And as soon as you through the nose, turns a bit uh, bit nasally. So you can, you can do those sorts of things, but really, just just giving yourself a little moment to just be a bit gentle. But sure, absolutely, finding yourself a nice Dr. Seuss book is also good. So tell me, uh, Penny, <laughs> what happens when we do an accent? <laughs> What's happening with my voice? What am I doing? Is it the, a change yeah. in shape of the um, yes, articulators? You're, you're, you're changing the shape of your oral cavity, Peter. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So we're we're changing the shape of the articulators. So internally, the tongue is shifting, the the cheeks are shifting, the muscle, the arrangement of all the muscles, the lips. Uh, and where the tongue position is in the mouth are shifting. And we used to do this thing with accent and dialect training where it was all about listen and copy. And these days very much the, the, the work is about trying to feel the difference in the shape. How do we create that sound? What's the difference with our hesitation sounds? Like in Australia we go, uh, you know, but in other countries they might go, uh, or, you know. So you, so you get to feel the shape automatically of that different accent or that different dialect. And, you know, it's fun. I look back at our time at drama school and, and I often <laughs> giggle very much that, you know, every student walked around with a bottle of water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, which I don't see a lot of today in everyday mm-hmm. life. Um, but it seemed to be, I've got to have a bottle of water. I've got to be sipping water all the yeah, time. Yeah. So tell me about hydration Absolutely. and the voice. W- w- water is essential. You, we, we must because it's the same thing again it's all about that movement it's all about is wine the same thing um no no wine's wine's actually kind of the opposite thing it's fun it helps you speak more yes (laughs) but it doesn't necessarily hydrate so we've got you know all these little mucus I don't know if do you remember Chris Moffat? Absolutely. I'll be Chris, our voice teacher, yeah. Yeah. And and I, you know, Chris, the scientific trained person in the building. (laughs) Like I loved Chris. And I will always remember her saying that thing about um when we were clearing our throat and do you know what's happening when you're clearing your throat? Did she ever do that? And she'd go and she just clapped her hands together and just went, You just That's the vocal cords. Yeah, vocal folds are just slapping themselves together aggressively every time you clear your throat. And of course, what they do is then send down all that mucus to come and. But the, well, Liz told us that too. Don't yeah. don't clear your throat like that. Just swallow. Just swallow. Just swallow. But and the thing is that the water, of course, is going to keep everything more lubricated. It's going to make that mucus not so mucky. It's going to make sure that all the muscles are nice and 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 ripe, like they're they're nice and fleshy and hydrated so they're not they're not hurting each other it's like if we're dry and we're trying to slide against each other it's not it doesn't work you know so it's the whole notion of just being hydrated is is so incredibly important what about those people who speak very fast and they and and you know the the articulation is really really confusing because they can't shut up and that's a (laughs) that's a a nervous thing or that's a Um, yes that's a thing that we, that some people just kind of, that's their state of being. Like in the LESAC work, we have these body energies like radiancy, potency and buoyancy. And I 
have to confess that I was one of those people, Peter. I was well, too. I, sometimes I, and you I still just, kind of am. Sometimes I have I to slap nervous, my face. So I can just go. <gasps> Stop. Calm down. Breathe. You, speak. Yeah, and I had a beautiful experience. So on this on this intensive, there was a girl there, a woman there from Brazil, and that I and in the first week, she, a couple of times she would say to me, "I don't understand you." Stop, you know, and I'd went, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. And I'd still, and I'd go on and I'd still. And I recognised with her that I needed to completely 100% consciously think about every word I was articulating to make sure that she was receiving. It's like what I said before about the, you need to care about whether the person is receiving what you're saying. So it's all about is this am I saying this for me is this a purpose of mine or do I actually care if somebody's hearing it or not well and as a human being listening is just as important as speaking absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. and she so I recognized that by the end of our time together I was speaking in a much more I was having these moments of mindfulness before I spoke that were a new habit for me you know it takes 21 days to make a new habit and um, it was quite lovely to kind of go I this feels great to really think about it so what I love I, I'll just mention the LESAC methodology again just because it is it's a lot linked in with if people are familiar with Laban or um, uh, there's some Ayurvedic which is the Indian medical um, system kind of things to do with it. But, you know, if you even listen to the words potency, radiancy and buoyancy, you can see how those different energies. So for me these days, when I'm feeling like I'm just going to rabbit on like a crazy person because I'm a little bit nervous, then firstly I think about my feet because I always think about my feet and just getting a bit grounded and then I'll just bring in some buoyancy and bring in a little bit of air and then all of a sudden you know things just calm down a little bit so yeah why does the voice get deeper as we age because the folds get thicker right yeah primarily like like our, our like our waist <laughs> <laughs> yes so you get yes, mi mi middle-aged <laughs> folds. <laughs> but also, like, there's a malleability, so we're not stretching, we're not playing with, with the, um, like, uh, the, 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 the stretch, they're not stretching at their highest elastic point. So if you... <laughs> it's like your skin, a little bit like your skin. It's, it's relaxed a little bit with its elasticity, and so there's not... So the vibrations are just slightly slower, you know, so we're not at that higher anymore i find dialect really interesting um and the influences of of um social environment and, and education on the way we speak i mean mine i can say has certainly changed very much over the years growing up in country victoria um i very much spake through my nose mm -hmm. and um uh, um it was lots of that but you know g uh, you know teaching in certain environments um going to drama school mm offered me a way of, of connecting to my voice, supporting it, breathing, mm. uh, and changing, certainly yeah. changing the way I speak. Yeah, absolutely. And I, so I, I'm with you, Pete, because I grew up in the western suburbs of Melbourne, and so I kind of sound a little bit like this, and I kind of talked a little bit like this when I was, yeah. And, uh, and that flat Victorian yeah, vowel, yeah. Melbourne. Yeah, not, Melbourne. Not Melbourne. Melbourne. There's no L in there. No. no it's just Melbourne. 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 <laughs> 
<laughs> Melbourne. And my mother's name, which was Elwyn, it was Elwyn, Elwyn, Elwyn. So it's 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 just so funny. But um, yeah. So I when I arrived, I don't know, uh, but when I arrived at Whopper, Julia Moody. Um, was fascinated by my accent. She thought it was dialect. She thought it was incredible. And I think it's an interesting point because we are in a situation, I believe, where, and I, I don't want to be too political, but the socio-demographic nature of the people that are now attending drama school is a little bit different. We're not in the world... I'm not sure how it felt to you, but for me, when I was kind of going through that whole world, I felt like other people had come from a, a different, almost a different class to me in some some ways and I felt like I was a little bit from the wrong side of the tracks, you know, and I had this little funny bogan girl accent and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And, and what I love um, is that, uh, you know, because you can do a lot of – in New York there's a huge business for being a voice coach that's able to reduce your accent. Change dialect. Like, yeah. If Make you, it if, very neutral. Yeah, if you've mm. come up from the south or something like that. And, you know, I find that quite – I find that a little bit sad because I love the fact that we all speak slightly differently, but I think that we – it's nice to be able to put on the nice coat when we go out for tea, you know. Like, so it's just like I this is my voice – and I can switch it up if I want to, you know, if yeah. I understand the tapestry of my Well, life. I found it very disconcerting, you know, growing up in country Victoria and then people asking me, was I English? <laughs> you know, I said, no. What about the, the calibration of different spaces? You know, we, we rehearse in these small mm. rehearsal studios and then we've got to go out and we've got to yep. perform in this huge, yep. huge theatre. Mm. Um, what happens to the voice then or how, how do actors sort of... Uh, manipulate their voice in order mm-hmm. to go from that small space where you know I'm communicating with a person that's a foot away from mm-hmm. me to an audience who is probably 15 feet away yeah. from me in a big space. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the the most dangerous thing you can try to do is try to cover that distance. So, so it's never about oh, I need to um, uh, like words like I projection and uh, just scare me because it's oh, all your all what you're getting your kids or your students to do is just to yell out and and as soon as we yell out we're actually if you can imagine what it feels like within your larynx to yell then it's actually thinning the sound so you're actually creating yes you, there's a loudness to it but it's not going to carry so if you're wanting them to speak then it's about creating that beautiful concentrated tone within the mouth so that the mouth becomes or the um, everything within the mouth and and the space within the mouth becomes a perfect little concentrated space that then when you just think a little further away then you are further away and so you're using slightly more space and so it it just becomes about um intention of of that that area rather than push because as soon as you're in the push zone you've you've lost it like you've lost the fight and you're going to find yourself with vocal strain more than likely um and um again you know um, I, I keep rabbiting on about this lovely Lessac work, but there is some beautiful levels uh, of uh, of delivery that we work with in terms of intimate to formal 
Yeah, so who, who's just in case anyone wants to sort of yeah. investigate further, what's the practitioner's name? Lessac. Arthur Lessac. And how, Arthur, how do you spell that? Um, um, Lessac is L E S S A C, and there is the Lessac Institute, and I've just completed one in um, Indiana. There are some that happen internationally, South Africa, um, and obviously, uh, well, as I continue my journey, I'm more than happy to. I just ran a little half-day workshop in Arizona, in Tucson, and it was beautiful with a bunch of actors there. Um, And it was beautiful just not because they enjoyed it, but what was lovely for me was not just, oh, that was great, Penny, that was great, you know, was actually watching their progression over the afternoon and going, oh, this stuff works so well. It's just, it's lovely to to see. And I I think it's really important um, that you brought up the thing about the space because we do um, put ourselves in these big environments where we're having to kind of yell over crowds and things. And in actual fact, the more concentrated you can make your tone just at the actual base level, then you're not going to have any trouble. It's going to carry. You know, we've heard people that can do this. You know, it's incredible when you just watch somebody trusting their own body. The breath will answer the call from the tone and then it will be there. Have you worked with stutterers? Uh, I haven't personally worked with stutterers. Because, I mean, that's, that's the connection of the voice with the psychological mm. too, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's not just the physiology of the no. mouth. No. Cavity. It's... And what's really interesting with most stutterers is that they don't stutter when they sing. So it's an interesting thing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. to yeah. kind of bring in. And I often, so intoning um, could be a way of, you know, you never know about that stuff. But, I mean, that there's so many, there's so many things that come up with voice work that obviously a voice practitioner has to get to some points where they go okay, this is no longer my area of expertise. You know, this this has uncovered something and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recommend you on because uh, I wouldn't consider myself because I, th- I would think, I mean, I, I don't, I was a stutterer. I've got my own thoughts about how that happened. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I, uh, but I, yeah, I'm not, uh, yeah, probably bigger things to talk about with that stuff. What do we need to avoid, perhaps, with our voice? What, what, what's bad for the voice? What's, what's not good? What, what uh, can harm the voice? Uh, just always allowing breath into the body before you use it, you know, because I think if we hold our breath, the voice is always going to be in, in not being used in the correct way, yeah? So if we're, if we're holding it and we, you know, then it's going to hurt. So it's about allowing breath through the body. Obviously, you know, there's all sorts of um, pollutants and things that we've got going on in the world that are not the best thing in the world for our voices. So many people have got huge amounts of allergies these days. So you've got constant mucus on your folds and uh, not on your folds. Sorry, they're not actually contacting your folds, but, you know, mucus in the system. And um, so... So the concept of keeping uh, some steaming up for yourself, if you can possibly have that sort and of stuff. And that's just put, putting a towel over your head and, and yeah, old fashioned, over the sink. Yeah, over, yeah. Yep, over a bowl and just breathing in. And, you know, that can bring up some pretty scary results for some people. <laughs> what, uh, what about caffeine? I do drink coffee 
and I do drink wine and I do, you know, so I, so I tend to be a little bit like what we chatted about before, but the concept of, um, you know, if I know where the place is to healthily come back to with my voice, then I can take it to a slightly unhealthy place. It's not useful for us to be punitive. It's also not useful for us to be unnatural or not be able to do things that we want to do with people with friends with all that sort of stuff so I guess as with anything it's knowing your body isn't yeah. it and um knowing what what affects it and, yeah and what supports it yeah and um look things like immediate changes in temperature are always going to have a little bit of a shift if you're a sensitive vocal person you're going to notice things immediately to do with air quality around you to do with um i always drink um, lukewarm water rather than cold water because I find that um, cold water will bring up um, mucus for me straight away and and it will also have the effect of a little bit like jumping into an ice bath you know it's not it's not going to be that much fun for everything so I usually try to drink water that's lukewarm or, or a little bit warmer and and just um try to not be in places where I need to keep talking at the same it's about repetition isn't it because if we keep if we're in a loud environment we're having to keep talking at the same sort of pace at the same time to in the same volume then it's going to pretty much hurt over time you know so where are you now professionally? Do your voice works? Do you, you hold workshops? Do you well, have a, so I've um... just got this wonderful practitioner status with the LESAC Institute, which is great for me. And I do, I run, so I'm based in Melbourne and I do a lot of, I've got quite a few private students that I work with on their voices for, yeah, a huge range of reasons. So, the, so that singing lessons? No, no, no. It's just not, no. A lot of production. them it's voice production. Yep. There are a couple of singing students in there, but I do tend to talk about the voice as a, as a one voice rather than um, these are singing and this is because I think sometimes we get stuck on you know I keep my singing voice up there and I keep my you know, speaking voice over there when in actual fact it's the same thing. <laughs> so, um, uh, but yeah, so I've got a sta- a little stable of of private uh, students. And I'm hoping to start up um, some uh, some consistent breath and body voice workshops in Melbourne. Yeah. And uh, if so, if people want to contact you, you've got a Facebook page. I do have or a Facebook page. Social it's media. Called, it's called Penny Larkin's Voice Artist and Coach, and so that enables me because I'm. I find it hard to label myself in some ways because I'm really happy to work on dialect. I'm really happy to um, support people in doing a speech at their school. I'm really happy to work on body language. I'm really happy to, you know, so it's so it's a little bit open. Her voice will travel. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and, and particularly I like the fact that you said that because I, I love walking with people and talking about their voices because I, cause once we're in movement, then, you know, you hear different things in the way that people use their voices. They're, things just loosen up. So I do, I do love the concept of being mobile and if not mobile, then at least in people's own spaces. So I often go and teach in, in, a, in a client's home so that I get to see what they're like in their environment. You can follow Penny and the vocal workshops that she offers on her Facebook page, Penny Larkin's Voice Artist and Coach. Have you subscribed to Stages yet? Do so and keep up to date with every new guest episode as it is released. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts and through Wooshka and Spotify. 
And please take the time to rate and review the podcast in the iTunes directory. It helps to grow our audience and reach more stages listening. I'm Peter Ayers and catch you next time on Stages.